Hey everybody, we're back with another Commission podcast. Uh, this time it's it's another Australian movie. We, we've got a, another good one here in the hopper. Is a hopper a word that they use in Australia? It's a it's a film on the Barbie, I think. The hopper. <laughs> that's that's more New England than. I don't even know Australia. what the hell what what you're doing. I don't either, man. I, I try either. to do a New England accent, it devolves into an Aussie accent, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. They're it's the they're law fairly of the transitive similar. accents. <laughs> Uh, so who commissioned this? Tell us a little about it. Uh, this would be Tim, a.k.a. Double T, from our forums at forums.baldmove.com. Uh, he also uh, commissioned Animal Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. So the proposition is kind of uh, another another movie along those lines, and, and what caused it is that uh, he heard our podcast for the Kate Winslet. What Holy, was that one? Holy Smokes. Holy yeah. Smokes. And you said, I guess I've now seen the two best Australian <laughs> films. And he's like, uh-huh. bullshit. This aggression cannot, cannot stand. Uh, so he decided to, in his, his, his personal, uh, he felt like that this, okay, I'll just, I'll just read his uh, comments. He says, after you, how'd you do the cast for animal kingdom? I felt like this film was also a must. These two are close to the best Aussie films of this past decade, and they're definitely my two favorites. They also share similarities so much that I consider them companion films. The only actual common link, as far as I know, is Guy Pierce. However, they're both about crime families, and each story focuses on three brothers and other gang members. Both feature one evil, unhinged brother, with the mm. others being a bit more sympathetic. So let's stop here and say... What did you think of this as being a companion piece to Animal Kingdom? Because I felt two movies that were in the back of my mind the entire time I was watching this. One was the Animal Kingdom. Uh-huh. Because we felt, you know, there's another one where you're kind of thrown into the middle of this dynamic. You don't know who the bad guys are. And I felt also, like, I felt like I was missing a lot of cultural significance here. Sure. You yeah. know, like, this is set in Auss- Aussie Outback uh, during the kind of, like, you know, Australia be- being... Civilized, I guess, transitioning <laughs> from its penal colony phase into sure. the, the first world country it is today. And there's conflicts with the Aborigines and conflicts with these outlaws out, you know, hiding in the Badlands. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking this reminded me of Animal Kingdom because we were looking for this brother yeah. who's the bad one who everyone's looking for. And every time I met someone new, I'm like, is this the brother? Is this the brother? Is this... <laughs> And finally, it's like okay, yes, this is this is the brother. But I felt a lot like that, and I also felt a lot like the three ten to Yuma. Is sure, the other one. Those, yeah, those were both going through my head too. And it's very different, though. This is nothing like three ten to Yuma, in my opinion. It's much. So they're both westerns. They're both in the western archetype, but setting sure. it in Australia somehow. You know, you read these reviews and everyone talks about the oppressive, bleak landscape. And I thought, like, you mm-hmm. know, you can't beat the American Southwest. It's They're all desert. How much worse can it get? But, I mean, this Australian place is, is a hellscape. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. that 310 to Yuma feels like a movie to me. This feels almost like... A film? <laughs> I, yeah, there's something different about it, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's harsher, it's... Uh, maybe it maybe deals with real issues a little bit more. It's much more artistic too. And, and sure, what yeah. I mean is like it's kind of it feels it's not as glossy. Three Ten to Yuma, you could go to and see it at a Cineplex and maybe have some popcorn with it, right? The proposition is like you go to an art house theater and you see the film. 
and is yeah. But I'm not. I feel like that. That's there are no like shootouts in the street. There's no high noon but there showdown. Are. There are lots of violence, and the, there, it, there's a lot of violence. But it's not like opens, shootout style. Violence. The movie opens with this climactic violence, and it, then it kind it of does. just settles into this character story about. Or yeah. character study. Whereas 310 to Yuma climaxes with a brilliant shootout, right? Yeah. Uh, and this this never felt like, you know, anybody was going to duel in the streets or anything. It was more like a sneak up on you and blow you away while you're not looking sort of film. Yeah. And th- that, to me, has a very different vibe to it, right? It's it's less about heroes and more about yeah. kind of morality of of everyone in this scenario. Right. But it's, it's kind of one, one of those things where I feel like... I was wondering, like, what would a international person who would see, like, a movie about Custard's Last Stand? Okay. And and also, like, which Custard Last Stand would they get? Would they get, like, the one that glorifies yeah. their last stand against the Indians? Would it be the one where it's, like, more of a historical revision where it's, like, well, actually, maybe the... The army are the assholes, and the Indians are the, the, the noble characters that are the freedom fighters. And then it's, sure. like... I felt like we saw this latter thing. Like maybe this is something that's mythologized in in Australian lore, and, mm-hmm. and now it's something they're kind of looking back and examining. But I didn't have any of that, you know, that relationship with with how Australia struggled with the indigenous people and and what it was like to tame the West. And now I'm getting like the ref, refuta- refutation of this like taming the west and i didn't get the glorification of it so now it's just like wow this this is really bleak and i i I wasn't sure how to feel about it like for example stanley the captain stanley Mm -hmm. sam winston a lot of spoilers coming up so yeah like you're not into spoilers (laughs) and i don't i don't know how to explain this movie except for to say you've seen it because it feels like a western made by aliens to me okay all right, you know, like it's a, a western from an alien land. A lot of certainly. the archetypes are there, and yeah. a lot of the characters are there, and a lot of the settings and situations. But everything is has a very different feel and sensibility to it. Yes, so it's definitely stretches the boundaries of what now I consider a, a western. Mm-hmm. Um, and same the same way I thought Three Ten Yuma did the same thing. But and here's the thing, like so Captain Stanley. I wasn't sure if he was a heroic figure or not because when he first shows in, he's screaming about civilization and he's got these, you know, Aborigines stooges that are mm-hmm. like kind of race traders, I guess. And his men are all drunk and maybe rapists and they're abusing, you're rounding up uh, these Aborigines and, and killing them and torturing them and doing all this stuff. It's like, is this guy a bad guy? And I thought, like, this is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But then the outlaws these hunting burn people alive and raped his family and you know his wife that was like a, a personal friend of theirs or one of the victims of that tragedy and then you meet guy pierce and his brother and like these guys seem like the good guys do you know what i'm saying like i yeah. just never felt like throughout the whole movie until the very end when like i was relieved when guy pierce came to regulate mm-hmm. that i wasn't going to see a rape and a double murder then i'm like i guess he's the good guy yeah, and it's tough to even say that Stanley is a good or a bad guy, even by the end of the movie, right? Like, and I, there's a lot of stuff that he refuses to put up with, uh, sure. morality wise. Sure, uh, like he can't he can't possibly fathom the idea that you know he's going to make a deal with Charlie Buns, and yeah. then uh, he's not going to come through on his end yeah. when when Charlie shows up. He's mm-hmm. like, don't don't whip this kid to death. Mm-hmm. 
but yet, yeah, at the beginning of the movie and throughout the movie, he's kind of like hunting these Aboriginal people. Mm-hmm. So like, he clearly doesn't have a moral hang up about that, and it it makes it it muddies the water as to you know the morality of his character. But compared to everyone else, he's clearly got more of a conscience, right? It seems a bit also smarter. it's kind of pragmatic because it's like I don't think he had a problem yeah. whipping like. At one point, uh, <laughs> the mayor of the town, I guess, or maybe the provincial governor, I couldn't figure out. He's played by Bor- uh, Faramir from uh, uh, The Lord of the Rings. He's Boromir's brother is where okay. you'll know him from. Or if, if you watch Top of the Lake, he was the creepy police lieutenant that had an improper relationship with Peggy from Mad Men, amongst other people. Is it made clear what relationship they have? Like, I, who is this guy? I don't know, because, I again, he's some important... I felt uh, he's at least the mayor of the border town. I think he might have been maybe the provincial governor. But he says at one point, like, this is... The, do the job I brought you here to do, Stanley, yeah, he's or whatever. The, yeah, and this, so, so Stanley, he's a cop, but he's also kind of like, I guess, the U.S. cavalry is what, I, it's, what it feels like. He's hmm. kind of like a general... Custard figure, custard figure. Okay, not custard. Yeah, custard figure. Yeah. Uh, I so he shows up and he's like this, you know, kind of a simpering little fart, but he's like really hardcore and he orders this guy after he was, you know, it's it's been the the proposition. We should lay this out. The proposition: Captain Stanley captures Guy Pierce. Uh, and, and his brother, and Mikey. His brother Mikey. These are the Burns brothers, the Buns brothers, or as, yep. as 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 Jim liked to call them, the Buns brothers, Charlie Buns, Charlie Buns, and says, "Look, you go out and find your your brother, who we know is the ringleader. He's the reason you guys are all a bunch of rapists, thugs, and murderers." Yeah, we need to talk about this in context of uh, the proposition itself. Because I'm taking this is also a historical event. Like there was this outrage yeah. where this. Like I said, these I feel like this is a real life historical event. There's this outrage where they beset this, you know, settlers and mm. they burnt their house and maybe burned some of them alive and and there's raping of women and killing of children. But the thing is is when we finally meet this guy, he seems kind of literate and artsy and maybe like a guy like like a, a warrior poet sort of deal. Yeah, like a freedom yeah. fighter. Okay. You know, like a Fidel Castro type. But even that is kind of turned on its head at some point. But, I mean, well, at the beginning of the movie tells us who he is, and we meet him, and he seems like he defies the... And that that he reminds me a lot of the character of um, uh, Russell Crowe played in 310 to Yuma. Okay, sure. You know, but the thing is, they spent a lot of the movie telling me why Russell Crowe is the guy who is and what the guy he wished he was was... And made that kind of, by the end, it played off beautifully when he switched sides and decided to, you know, stand up for the moral, courageous person. You know, he he, he essentially sacrificed himself to save his image, the good guy's image. Um, and this, it's like this guy, he was literary and kind of kind and gentle and insightful, but he's also this murderous person. And there was no context for those actions. So it was very hard for me to understand him. And very hard for me to understand why Guy Pierce didn't just show up and kill him, which would have made the movie very short and would have saved a lot of drama at the end. Well, it's his brother, right? So, I mean, there's the familial bond. <sighs> but there didn't seem to be. like. Well, there is. There's a, certainly a hesitation in Charlie to kill his brother mm. that's shown. I mean, like you said, he doesn't just show up and murder him and be done with it. So, clearly there's something in Charlie that says, I don't want to kill Arthur. There's like He doesn't want to do that until... 
Arthur takes it too far, right? He's like, but he's I, once again shown his ass to the world and to Charlie. And that's what I'm saying. But knowing Charlie as I did in the film, I feel like taking it too far could have referred to the original atrocity that happened before sure. the film. So yeah. it's like he should have been ready to be like, well, I'm going to save my innocent brother. Oh, by the way. Mikey didn't seem like a criminal at all. He's, I, I, in fact, I feel like maybe something was wrong with him. Yeah. So let's talk about the proposition in that context because I personally think the proposition that he delivers, that that he makes with Charlie, is smart. I, I think it's a good thing to do. You know. Okay. So the scenario that he's presented with is Charlie and Mikey have have separated from Arthur. Right. They're not. Up Have in the they? mountains. Well, they're not up in the mountains. I thought they just with... got captured at in some unrelated shootout where they were in town for some reason. I didn't know that they'd actually ran away. The impression I got, yeah, was that. I mean, otherwise, why wouldn't Arthur also be there? Like, hmm. I got the impression also, that they were separated. It took me a while to master from... the accents. Like, I felt like yeah, you yeah. know when you watch um, what's the movie that did this? It's Hunt for Red October, where everyone's speaking Russian, and then it, there's this one, and it's subtitled. There's one scene where it kind of like zooms in on Sean Connery's mouth. And then he starts speaking English and it yeah. zooms out. And that's the way the movie's saying, like, okay, we're going to stop They're this Russian, Russian shit now because but... we've exhausted Sean Connery's willingness to, to talk <laughs> Russian. Sure. I felt like that happened with the Australian accents. Like, 15 minutes in, the film kind of got fuzzy. And then, like, oh, I was able to hear them. Uh-huh. But a lot of the setup, I was like, what, the Buns Brothers? And they're yeah. – what is this? It, was, it also didn't help that the center track of my – television just basically doesn't come through yeah and so all the audio is muffled compared to gunshots and footsteps they they also talk kind of like you know there's a lot of breathy breathy mumbles yeah because it's also not fair to say i don't think this was i feel like the australian accent really was non-existent here it felt more british yeah a lot of these guys are you know colonial settlers right these these are the people coming over doing the dirty work yeah Uh, in fact, so it I, makes the, a lot of sense. The in, the captain and his wife, they actually are from England, right? Yes. Like they're from your they're they're wanting their damn green garden with the roses in it and mm-hmm. she's And the Buns brothers are Irish, I guess. Yeah, I it's, thought yeah, the Bur- Burns is a Scottish surname and there's this song that they're singing that's like haunting uh is like Ode to Happier Times or something like that. I forget the exact. Uh, so Charlie gets awfully offended at the insult like john hurts insulting of the irish if he's not in fact irish unless he's playing it up for that scene where he gives the name murphy but that's the thing he was trying to evade the bounty hunter that was looking for his brother so he would wouldn't he like he would it behoove him but the reason i say also that that ode to happier days is also a scottish hymn yeah and burns is a scottish surname but they're using irish accents even when they talk with each other yes Arthur and Charlie are both using Irish accents when they're looking at the sunset talking. Like, So this is a good time to say that Arthur is played by Jack Houston. Who Houston? Is it Houston? Houston? No, because he's, he's related to, to uh, John... Angela Houston. And Angelica? Angelica Houston, Houston? sorry. Okay. And uh, Jack Houston, who played... Uh, Who's the guy with the tin face on Boardwalk Empire? Richard, Richard Harrow. Richard Harrow, yeah. Is, I think his nephew... So there's this okay. Houston dynasty, and, hmm. and he's he, the, the first the place I've seen him most recently was in the last two seasons of American Horror Story. He's, he's spelling his name the, wrong. 
<laughs> uh, well, it's a Scottish surname, so okay, fair and then enough. That's what the town in in Texas is named after. Uh-huh. It's settled by Scot Scottish people in the 17th century. It's a fact. You can look it up. Sure, All it's right. on Wikipedia. Let me edit that article <laughs> real quick. All right. Um, so, and I feel like I, he does look like this philosopher murderer. Yeah. He kind of plays that role yeah. in American Horror. Oh, okay. a lot where he's a uh, he's always like this genteel. Maybe he's a scientist, but he's also a Nazi war criminal, or he's a jazz player, but he's also an axe murderer. He plays that duality, like maybe he got typecast a bit in this, but... Yeah, uh, the, maybe so. The thing is, is he's just such a bit part, and I got no read to him. And then at the end, like, yeah, can... they have this Walter White, uh, Mike, the Mantrout situation where uh, Guy Pierce uh, fatally wounds him. Mm-hmm. Because he's tired of his his uh, raping and pillaging, and he goes out gut to the sunset, him. gut shots him, goes out in the sunset to die, and the char- and and uh, Guy Pierce sits down beside him to have this like last moment with his brother. Yeah, and that I will say that his brother also just doesn't seem to ever see that coming. The fact that his brother could betray him. Yeah, and I so I guess that's why like this. After seeing this movie, I'm thinking, well, okay, so the reason he didn't kill his brother is because it's his brother. Like, they have these moments where they sit down and they talk and they kind of understand each other to a certain degree. But eventually it just becomes too much for Charlie, right? And his other brother, who he – I think he likes better, is at stake here. So uh, up until, you know, he's killed (laughs) and they find out that he's killed. Uh, So I don't know. I'm – you you also might say that maybe Charlie in this scenario kind of blames uh, Arthur for getting his brother killed. Like we wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't. No, for I you think that's and... totally right because none of these brothers, and now the, except for the one crazy one at, who is still with um, Jack, the the Houston character. What is his name? You just said his name was uh, Arthur. Arthur. Arthur except Buns. for the who, yeah. so who was that? Wasn't actually a Buns brother. Oh, the guy at the, the... end. So it's weird. The synopsis on this for IMDb says four Burns brothers. So he could be another Burns brother. But I we never get his name as if, far as if I If that's can the tell. case, those two seem like they're the bad seed of the family. Yeah. Which I guess that's another Animal Kingdom uh Yeah, with thing. Danny they, being the Except for one of those guys that we thought were brothers wasn't actually a brother, and I wonder if that's also the case for this guy. Except for could be he was the yeah. decent guy, the one to get out of the, and, and start to get in his stocks investing, and this uh-huh. other non-brother floater on was actually as bad as the the worst of the brothers. And so that's why I say it's kind of a smart plan, right? If if Stanley looks at this scenario and he's like, okay, so they've separated from Arthur and the other potential Buns brother. Uh, I I can see where his loyalties lie. More so than to Arthur, they lie with Mikey, right? So now I've got Mikey, and I'm going to coerce him into doing this thing for me to finding Arthur, and he probably knows where he is yeah. or where he was last. Yeah, or, uh, he's or familiar, at least familiar at the territory to where he can do a better job attracting than than my guys could. And he's going to be able to integrate himself into Arthur's group again, right? Mm-hmm. Like pretty pretty easily, way more easily than Stanley could have. So. That idea, like, combine that with the loyalty and the ease of integration and finding him, and I think it's a good plan. And everybody else seems to be completely blind to that idea. They just are looking to capture these guys at all costs. Yeah, like, why, why aren't you out and, there kept finding them? Well, he is. He's letting some somebody else do the legwork, right? Like, right. that's the thing that they don't understand. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and it's... 
So a lot of my sympathy lies with Stanley. Agreed. In this, Stanley and Charlie, I think, are obviously the two most sympathetic characters. Agreed. What did you make of the scene where Stanley and his wife's manservant, who was one of the Aboriginal peoples, mm-hmm. uh, he he just took off. And at first I thought that Stanley was dismissing him, but then when I started thinking about the scene, I actually think the guy just was like, he had heard about, you know, what was coming their way, and he didn't want any part of it. He didn't want to be the guy sitting here hmm. around the home when the thundercloud found this family. Okay. And he took off, and he, but he left his shoes behind. What? I thought that was a statement of protest. Like, I'm, the, the, I, you know, fuck you. You're part of the system, man. Really? I'm out. These shoes, I don't need your fucking shoes. I'm going back to the desert. Huh. You, there's, I just, that's the other thing is I, I didn't really get culturally what was going on a yeah. lot because there was this one, you know, character who was an Aborigine who was serving with the people that were tra- hunting and they had two things. Uh-huh. They, they seem like they are destroying a, a belligerent Aboriginals, which I will say that their spears are shockingly effective. Yeah. Like, there are some horrific scenes of people just embedded with these things like pin cushions. And we see Guy Pierce take a vicious one that it's hard to believe he would live through. <laughs> it's almost in the heart. Like you, you're like, you're like, well, I, cause I was trying to argue. It's like, well, it's high up in his shoulder that maybe it just missed his lung lobe and it maybe went clean through. But later in the movie, we see the exit wound and it's fucking trans halfway down his, back. his body, man. It's crazy. Yeah. And it goes through him like, a hot knife through butter. Mm-hmm. Like, I... Like, I can imagine, like... Shocking put a, devastation. Put a 15-pound pole behind a sharp enough point uh, and just, heave it with all you've got, and I yeah. bet it does... I bet it does that. It 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 didn't stop till it hit the ground. It was yeah. crazy. Uh, but he's got two jobs. Like, to brutalize the, the tribal people and mm-hmm. bring them in the order, and also to brutalize and, and kill the... the uh, uh, the the outlaws out there. Yeah, which is why he's such a morally muddy character. But it's weird because the aborigine that was helping them, and I hope I'm God. I hope I'm not using super offensive terms because, like, maybe aborigine is a huge slur now, and there's a different word for them. But well, as of 2005, when this was made, they they put an Aboriginal people's warning okay. up front, right? Or Indigenous people, maybe. Man, that's what I'm saying. Like, like shit. Now I can't. You know how Eskimo <laughs> is? It turns out that that's like a a terrible sure. slur. That's not say a Inuit. Y- y- sure. Well. I get, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to educate because, <laughs> yes. you know, ter- turns on us white people came to this continent and just started naming names and not paying attention to what people called themselves. And it turns out yeah. that after, you know, in the 21st century, they're like, you know, actually never been cool with you guys just picking names out for us. And actually that's super offensive word. And so, I, you know, try to be sensitive where you can be. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with that said, kind of. We have a similar history with Australia in that regard, right? Right, but it's not the same, and certainly, also, and that's yeah. why I get this vague awareness that there was, uh, you know, even some shockingly terrible things happening even as late as like the seventies in Australia. Yeah, maybe even there's still like, I, I I don't know where in the stream of time there are at this, but my point was there was a lot of fascinating interactions between the Aborigines that were working with. The Australians. The Uncle Toms. Like, when he was uh, interrogating that group of Aborigines and they all started howling and kind of, like, that was kind of taking the piss at the captain. Yeah. But his guide kind of joined in as if he was like, you know, kind of fuck you. But he's also hunting down his fellow people. And when the gangster Aborigine 
caught up with them clearly was in sins and offended and, and singled him out for special killing. Yeah. So it's like, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of this hostility that I wasn't quite sure how to interpret and like, how did they feel about that? And there again, that's where mm-hmm. I felt like I only had half of the story going in that, so I couldn't really fully appreciate those interactions. Yeah. Maybe too. like if, like if you're from, and also the baggage that comes with having a similar, but not identical history. Yeah. In that regard. Like, like imagine if you're from like, I don't know, Indonesia and you watch Django Unchained do you and like and you're Jesus. you've never read a his a history book on american history do you what do you make of ah, you know no Django's dealings with uh was it steven who was yeah. the how what do you what does that mean when he's the a black slave driver and sure. the mandingo fighting and and the candy ranch and being like does that I, I, you can appreciate as the human drama it is, but all mm-hmm. the backstory that we just know, we understand. Like this is a bad deal, and this is why it is. Like you would miss a lot of that. Sure, and that's why. I yeah, felt, I can't even imagine. And that's what I'm saying. Like that's how I feel watching mm-hmm. some of these things. Because especially anytime you see a movie, it's like there's a warning. If you're a part of these people, this could be highly offensive, and this is some sensitive history. Yeah, you know that's like that should be clue number one that whoa. But also, like I was saying, you know, the, the, powder keg. the the similar history that we have in that regard can trick you into thinking that maybe you have a good grasp on right. it when, in fact, you're way off. Yes. And and they're not the same in any kind of way. Yes, yes. But on the surface, they appear very similar. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, you want to make everything analogy to Little Bighorn or whatever. Exactly. And, you know, that's super offensive to even think that that way. So, yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I wish I'm uneasy about that stuff, but and I did like I I read like an hour's worth of Australian history, you hmm. know, on Wikipedia and other sites, and I still feel like I haven't scratched the surface. It'd be like you know, if you want to understand colonization of the United States, yeah, you do an you hour of research you, of a hundred year period, <laughs> yeah, right. And like you know, with, and I I'm also fascinated. Like it, I think of the Aborigines as like one mass of people. Mm, like yeah. you would think of like maybe a, a person Americans reading too. with Native Americans, but you, there's you're talking about different nations, man. Yeah. yeah. With different cultures. And you can't just say like, well, because you know the Cherokee, then you know the Seminole and you know yeah. the the Hopi and the, and then also talk about different times like the Aztec and it's I I wonder if there's a lot of that where it's like I've even I haven't even scratched the surface of how complex it is. Sure. Sure. I <laughs> there's probably a lot more than we're realizing here as far as commentary, as far as the intricacies of the morality involved. There's a lot of stuff there. And then you got guys like John Hurt in this film, right? Oh, Jesus. Who are these old, drunken racists who have no shame. Right. Have no remorse about this stuff. And right. are just out there doing bad things. Yeah, because that's when we're talking about trying to decide if people are good or bad. You also Once you decide, like, okay, by modern standards, is this person good or bad? Yeah. Because that's, that's what the filmmakers are going for. Then you start thinking about, okay... In standards of their time, mm-hmm. you know, because you can get into situations like you're watching the Nick and you're like, all oh, these people are assholes. Yeah, Even yeah. the hero. He's a fucking racist. Why do I sure. feel good about anything? And you're like, okay, maybe he's progressive for the time. Or Then I'm completely unequipped except for to say that John Hurt's Bonnie Hunter <laughs> is a piece of shit no matter what century he's in. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Very but colorful and memorable. Fascinating. Like, I love watching this guy act. Yeah. He's amazing. And I was hoping... I, so in my notes, I have written down uh, John Hurt, the old drunken racist. This should be an interesting journey, but it wasn't. 
it wasn't an interesting journey. Like they didn't end up no, using him really. very much at all. No, he gets killed he got, at the end. He's kind of killed with that much effect. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was surprised that they didn't use him more, but honestly, they didn't really need it. Like, we should talk it's about the acting. It's always interesting, though, to see, like, really well-educated people, but they're educated on bullshit. Hmm. Like, there's a plot okay. right now at the Nick where these people are talking about, these very rich and like well-educated white people are talking about Django. eugenics. Yes. And how great it's going to be when we can, like, you know, just sterilize all the undesirable people and it's just like horrifying but it is yeah they're, they're they've they spent a lot of time educating themselves on junk science with, with horrific implications and i always think that's fascinating and it shows see. you like progress right the yeah the, the scientific and cultural progress that we've yeah we've we're continuing to build yeah and at the time those things are probably considered cutting edge quote-unquote science but sure like like a phrenologist is some kind of educated person whereas yeah. today we laugh at that shit sure sure and it makes you wonder like what what are we doing right now that oh years yeah that people are going to be like oh boy these rubes you know yeah what is what is that going to be it'll all have to do with the names of our sports teams uh <laughs> can we talk about the acting sure like i want to read let's let's read another paragraph out of the pre-back that uh tim gave us he said uh, as far as the cast i thought the windstone and Pierce were both excellent as usual, as was Emily Watson. Uh, Faramir was convincingly smarmy as Mr. Fletcher. John Hurt as Jelen Lamb, the the racist piece of shit bounty hunter we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Stole the movie during his brief scenes. Frankly, I've never been overly impressed with Danny Houston, but he nails the role of Arthur. I find him to be every bit as strange and disturbing as Ben Mendelsohn in Animal Kingdom, to which I say, nay, Tim. Nay. Nay. You like Mendelssohn more? Uh, I think Danny Houston, and I, this might be controversial, but for me, I thought he was at replacement level acting. Like, there's any one of a half dozen character actors who could have done the job that he did. Uh, so th- he doesn't have a huge part. Well, I'm thinking, like, um, you know, man, I'm terrible with names. I'm so terrible with names. Who played Commissioner Gordon in Dracula? Gary Oldman. He played Commissioner Gordon in Dracula? (laughs) Yes, Gary Gary Oldman. (laughs) Gary Oldman would have been a better fit, probably, for this role. Hmm. Or I'm thinking of, like, a lot of different... better fit. I I mean, I don't think that Houston did a bad job. No, no. Like, I thought he was good. That's what I'm saying. He's right at replacement level. Like, he didn't detract from the movie, but I don't think he elevated the material like some He didn't define the role, maybe, like you would want him to? No, whereas... Ben Mendelsohn in Animal Kingdom, yeah, his exact brand of kind of unhinged suburban gangster. I can't imagine many other people doing that performance, let alone doing it better. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I I actually saw like I read several reviews on this, and almost every single one just said how good Houston was, and almost left uh, Winstone completely out of it. I uh, see now. I I'm never- like, man, Winstone. Makes this movie is it Winston or Winstone? Uh, it's spelled Winstone. I don't. Right. I don't the know e if it's Winston or Winston. Whatever. Uh, yeah, but so the guy playing Stanley, the guy right? from Sexy Beast. Sure, I've never seen that, but I know he's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he to me makes this movie. I, I think without Guy Pierce and without him, it's nowhere near as good as it is. Agreed. And and and, and I can't like Guy Pierce. I've enjoyed his acting a lot and. It's we had this conversation because I I feel like Guy Pierce and Christian Bale work in a very similar vein, and I've wondered like what if the time machine 
was as big a vehicle ah. for him for Guy Pierce as like Batman was for Christian Bale because you know Christian Bale did a lot of independent stuff and he did American Psycho and he did you know uh, shit he was in that Dragon Fire or whatever the fucking you know oh Matthew Rain of McCann, Fire Rain of yeah. Fire Oof. and he's, he's been in a lot of stuff and he started off with like what Empire of the Sun like he's I was a sure. child actor he did a lot of stuff and he you know he did Batman and then he's like in everything yeah. I wonder if, like, the reason Guy Pierce never got to that second stage level is because his big star vehicle just flopped. I suppose it could be. Because he's really just an excellent actor. And in this The more movie, I've seen of him, the more I like him. This movie, he's just cadaverous. Like, he's just a wreck of a human being. Like, Guy Pierce is a very handsome man, and he's playing with, like, wood teeth. Yeah. He's skeletal. Mm-hmm. He's got maggots coming out of body holes a couple of occasions in this movie. It's just really uh, very similar to the way that, like, Val Kilmer approached the role of um, Doc Holliday in Tombstone. Like, this is just a human huh. ruin. He's a he's a hulk. He's yeah. a, and not in the incredible way, just like a <laughs> dismasted, sinking ship kind of way. Huh. He's just and Kristen Bale does that to himself a lot. Like think of him in The Machinist. Oh yeah, where it's just like your jaw drops in some of these scenes where you see him. Or what was that boxing movie? Uh, that Mickey Ward. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, shit, the fight, I, was it the fighter? Something like they all have generic names. Yeah. Who knows? But the puncher. It, yeah, what he does to his body for that thing. Yeah, yeah. Oof. So I I feel like Guy Pierce did an outstanding job of this thinking, haunting criminal. Mm-hmm. But again, I just don't understand why I don't understand his motivations when it comes to his family and his brother and, and his gang and, and what he feels as far as loyalty towards that. And what does he do? What does he do after this movie? Uh, I don't, I don't know. To I mean, I can look it up. Yeah. I was going to say to the extent <laughs> that he's a real human person, I did be interesting, but like, Oh, what does Guy Pierce do? Or what does Charlie Buns do? What's Charlie Buns? Do? Oh, I, I don't know. He goes back into the wilderness because he's still an outlaw, I guess. And it's beautiful out there. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful in this bleak desert type of way. Sure. Uh, like in an almost like this is, this is this, this is the landscape that your brain takes when you're on a inspirational acid trip. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean, you've just you swallowed don't... a whole thing of ayahuasca. Yeah. And exactly. You're, exactly. You're, you're, going on a, you're going on a spirit journey. Vision quest. Yep. You're gonna have. You're gonna meet a coyote with voiced by Johnny Cash, and he's gonna tell you how to resist <laughs> the chili pepper of madness. That's 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 what you go. And to. you got Gary Busey next to you. <laughs> <laughs> Say, do you think we're gonna freeze to death? Um. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Uh. So that's the other thing too, right? Talking about this landscape, like. And and Stanley's kind of almost manic, uh, kind of crazed way that he refuses to let this wilderness beat him, and he wants to civilize this land. Mm-hmm. He constantly goes on about that, and you can see like that's kind of reflected in the way that his wife is preparing the garden, played by Emma Watson, who is also well, equally and, and awesome. She gets a fresh Christmas tree delivered to the middle of the yeah. outback, which is kind of. Uh... It feels miraculous. This garden also, does not. This garden feels like it's sad. futility. Yeah, no. The but, highest degree of but futility. That, but I feel like it's all intentional, right? Like you're it supposed is. to see yeah. that as like absurd and you're supposed to see the Christmas tree as absurd. And then the fact that the climax happens on Christmas Day is like a perversion 
yeah. of, of the holiday. Like she's in this denial and she's wanting this, you know, very particular way of life to be restored or to brought to this place. And it's the the landscape and the, and what you said about Christmas being the day that all this shit goes down. Yeah, uh, that that really shows you the magnitude of the task, right? right. Like if you're going to civilize this land, you got a long road ahead of you. Yeah, sure. Because there is nothing sacred here, and right. the land doesn't give a shit, yeah. and the the indigenous peoples don't give a shit. Yeah, they're they're not here for your to to serve you. No. So good luck, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's illustrated both in the visuals and also in the plot itself, yeah. Uh, so he also, t- Tim Double T here asks, what did you make of the unusual soundtrack by Nick Cave, who also wrote the film? Uh, I loved it, thought it was created an effectively surreal atmosphere. The opening of this film where they're playing that uh, Happy Days. Oh, God, it's horrible. And the, the worst. way the music is composed, like it's some kind of like somewhere between a hap- harpsichord and a bagpipe. Yeah, it's been shot by a forty-five. Uh-huh. It is creepy. Accordion with a hole in the. Thing it is or, unsettling, and it it added to that kind of weird film, you know, kind of slightly lost quality to this film. Yeah, I, the. I don't know, the theme song over the credits is truly terrible. I I can hardly stand to even listen to it. Uh. The other thing is I'm I'm not certain how much of this is like they they mix cast photos in with what I think are real photos. So you said like earlier, oh, yeah, is yeah. this is this outrage thing like part of real history? I don't know because mm. there are some shots of like dead people, which I assume are actual real shots. Sure. And there's a scene that they mimic in the the plot of the movie where uh, a dead guy is hung up in front of a door so they can take his photo. Uh, for his death picture, I guess. Yeah, it was weird. Because uh, they used to do that type of shit. That, oh, that was a thing. So I like I'm not sure if that's a real thing or not, given the strange nature of the credits. I want to read the, this brief biography that I found from Nick Cave. Uh, it says he's an Australian musician, songwriter, author, screenwriter, composer, and occasional film actor. He's best known as the frontman of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Mm-hmm. A group known for its diverse output and ever-evolving lineup. Prior to that, he fronted The Birthday Party, one of the most extreme and confrontational post-punk bands of the early 80s. Uh, hmm. Referred to as rock music's Prince of Darkness, Cave's music is generally characterized by emotional intensity, a wide variety of influences, and lyrical obsessions with death, religion, love, and violence. NME, whatever that is, magazine described him as the Grand Lord of Gothic Lushness. That okay. sounds like the guy who wrote and composed the music for this film. Yeah, yeah. I don't. So you you actually showed. So you've heard of this guy before? Sure. Yeah. There, you've heard there's of a Ka- song, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yeah, they they wrote a song. Uh, you know, um, the the Red Right Hand song, like the tall handsome man in a dusty black coat with his red right hand. Mm. That song I used it in the oh, the last season of True Detective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the last episode of True Detective. Okay, now I remember you saying that, Fry, and I was intent on watching the film, so I didn't didn't attend to what you were saying. Yeah, he's. I mean, that song is fairly popular. It was yeah. a fairly big hit. Um, but I didn't know he was a writer. Like It'd be so weird to be like writer. finding like David Bowie was a writer and a director. Yeah, and yeah. you know, or or I guess this would be more of like um, uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Okay. The way they write about him sounds more like an Ozzy yeah. Osbourne. Like Ozzy Osbourne also the Prince of wrote, Darkness, sure. Also wrote, uh, if you find out he wrote Unforgiven uh-huh. and scored the movie, it'd be like, what? <laughs> That's how I'm feeling on, about finding this out. I find it super fascinating. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's like, 
there's a really gruesome whipping. Yeah. Uh, I've like, you know, uh, and I thought it was shocking is they only got to like 39 lashes out of a hundred lash sentence before it was called off by just everyone being, being sickened by the brutality, which that kind mm-hmm. of rung false to me. Okay. Like, I don't think the people in the 1890s or whenever uh, – that's when this film was set, right? 1870s. 1870s. Yeah. With this kind of provocation, I don't know that people get sickened by that violence at, at 30. I don't – it feels like that it'd be, they'd be crying for blood. Hmm. They, they'd be cheering the fact this that town it was... folk, like nobody would get disgusted about like, you know, maybe the guy gets tired and they have to bring in a new guy to do the flogging or to rotate him in and out, but – yeah, it seemed like a pitiless crowd, and that's the other thing where it's like maybe again I don't understand the Australian psyche, but that felt false to me that people the the same people that were screaming for this punishment to happen would be turned off by the fact that the guy essentially screamed and then passed out. The realities of the punishment, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I'm not sure how I feel about that. And then I started because you know I'm I'm also I happen to be rereading the Patrick O'Brien nautical fiction and it shouldn't be any surprise that the flogging is fairly common in the books you know it's a it's a routine form of naval punishment but i did a lot because i thought like a hundred lash sentence was pretty much a death sentence like you were not sounds like it yeah you're not supposed to live that live through that but apparently i guess the maximum naval punishment that was allowed in like the nelson era which is like in the you know eight like early 17th century like 18 like 1790 to like 1820 whoa, was 1200 whoa. lashes no uh, tw- why what's the point of that even well i guess after 900 what else is left to last that's the thing like i i don't know whether they're confusing what a cat of nine tails actually does because I, a cat of nine tails is just essentially string that was tied in knots there okay. wasn't like it wasn't like the, the Bone stuff fragments that was or anything. Up yeah, like Jesus was flogged with like yeah. bits of metal and nails and mm-hmm. shit. Um, but yeah, and like they had this punishment called flogged around the fleet, where you would get uh, <laughs> like uh, several boats would come up and you would get flogged a hundred lashes on one ship. They'd row you to another ship, lash you up, and give you another hundred, and you'd do that for every ship that happened to be at the fleet. Are, are they spreading the fun around? Like what's I don't What's know. What's the point of that to, th- as a demonstration? Like, and it was like something like you know, like don't like that, fuck up. That, they they did that stuff for I don't know, like striking an officer, like mutiny. Yeah, yeah. They just they just hang you from the yard arms and you'd be dead. But this is like kind of like look at what this guy did, and all yeah. of you should. Yeah. do. It's like a very much an example, okay, an humiliation thing. That makes sense. But I also was like, there was interesting like that. I guess that they, at least in naval tradition, they made a new cat of nine tails for each punishment. Hmm. And for 24 hours before the prisoner was to be flogged, it was his job to make his cat. Oh, God. It's like digging your own grave. Well, no, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I always thought, like, where did the fucked up tradition of, like, I've just heard of, like, this is my, my parents always told me when they were whipping me. Yeah. When I was growing up, your grandfather made me go out to the tree and get my own switch. And he'd, I'd bring it back to him. If it was too small, he'd make me go out and get a bigger one. Or he would go pick out a bigger one and beat me with it. And, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's fucked up. Like, making a child go and get his own punishment and then knowing that, oh, I got to get one. This one might kill me, but this one won't hurt enough. But I guess that was the thing. Like, you had to make it. And then 
Like if the bosun's mate came in and judged your cat of inferior quality, they'd build a worse one and you get more strokes. And it's like, wow, man, maybe all this like parental, like maybe we can blame the Napoleonic War for the fu- for the fucked uh-huh. up child punishment practices that we got in the 20th century. Like sure, after it passed, you know, it's like my great 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 father was a was a was a sailor, and then that started the insanity. All, all right, rum and the la- and sodomy and the lash. <laughs> sure pick two <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't really have a ton more to say about this film I, I thought it was excellent though yeah all the flogging talk took it out of me I guess yeah does uh does the commissioner have anything to say about it not not, not the, the commission, commissioner not the yeah but the commissioner uh, two time commissioner though nothing to sneeze at um yeah so what do you guys think of this as a western how does it compare to an American Western? How does the land compare to that of the Old West? I have thought it's shown as more striped back, base, stripped back, basic, and brutal. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. The, like, the landscape, to me, felt more harsh. Australia, honestly. the country, like, you know, it feels like a, a continent that has to be endured. Yeah, something that's actively trying to kill you at all times. Yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, that's uh, I wonder what... How do Australians feel about their land? Like, you know, in America, it's mm-hmm. all amber waves of grain and purple mountain majesties, and this land's your land's land. Yeah. It's a very, sure. very Pollyanna, Americana kind of, you know, very huggy-feely relationship. Mm-hmm. And in the places we have that are brutal, we don't live there. We just, like, make postcards out of it and have Ansel Adams go out there and take pictures. <laughs> go there to gamble. Sure. But like, I feel like I, I wonder, like, how do Australia, Australians feel about their country that's always trying to kill them? I don't know. With with firestorms and mm-hmm. uh, animals that just want to kill you. Yeah, poisonous koalas and man eating <laughs> sharks. Okay. And uh-huh. the, I, I feel like the Great Barrier Reef is trying to just literally encircle and destroy. Yeah, uh, Australia. How does that? How does that feel? Because. That's the one big difference is I thought that I saw bleak, brutal landscapes in many, many Westerns, mm-hmm. but this thing takes the cake. Yeah. Like like everyone that's out in this outback, this this range, uh, they look like beef jerky. Yeah. They look like people with beef. They're, they're made of beef jerky and wooden teeth. Most of all, John Hurt. He just. I, I think that's like Guy Pierce is right there with them. I mean. It's true. Yeah. They're all just wind beat, sun dried raisin people it's crazy <laughs> and also like again yeah, like i don't people. feel like i um i have a really good handle on your all's relationship historically with the native people and outlaws and that made it very you know when i when i see the okay corral depicted i kind of know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are yeah and when i it's just really made me realize how provincial i am because i went into kind of that situation and i was like i have uh, completely lost here uh, he also says uh, I think Jim mentioned once the impression he had of us Aussie movies were of cliche-ridden oddball films with over-the-top characters. Yeah. He's right that there are plenty of those. They're the ones that are more likely to make a splash overseas. We probably have Crocodile Dundee to thank for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Yahoo Serious. He did a lot of damage, too. I, I haven't seen... I he don't did, know like, one that, that, that was suppo- I remember when that came, that he came out, that he was supposed to be the next... He next was supposed to be the next Crocodile, crocodile Dundee. Oh, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know about well, that's that. That's a mistake right off the bat. Uh, however, there are quite a few of these kinds of high-quality psychodramas that can also be found. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, after the two that he's introduced us to, yeah. Animal Kingdom and this, I can I have a larger appreciation for Australian cinema. Sure. Uh, I don't now see it just as quirky, oddball characters in kind of a mishmash of a... <laughs> 
horrible landscape. I thought it was an amazing experience of a film, and I um, again, I, I didn't probably get half of the nuances to the plot, but as an experience of just this brutal justice being mm. dispensed and this fight for civilization and, and what is civilization and what are we losing in that fight, I thought it was pretty pretty remarkable, and it worked regardless of how clued in I was to the history of it. I wonder if there are any Australian video games that depict this, like kind of like a <laughs> like Red Dead like, Redemption. You're talking for about Australia? the pornographic tw- Atari 2600 no, Custard's no. Revenge. No, where you go with a little four bit penis and rape an uh-huh. Indian woman at the end. No, no, like a Red Dead Redemption for Australia sort of thing. Mm, I don't know. I've never heard of any, but I would be interested in playing one because, like, half the time when I'm watching these movies, I'm thinking. You know, it's a terrible existence, but it's also a much simpler time. Like, it's it's not like you've got to... There are, like, two major concerns, right? What am I going to eat, and who's trying to kill me? Sure. <laughs> so, like, if those are your only concerns in life, it's pretty simple. No, it's, it's pretty it's free in a way that, like, I feel like the same uh, appeals about sailing. Like, you know... Exactly. And I wouldn't want to live there. Yeah, now But I'm interested in experiencing... That maybe getting a, a lens into what that sure. felt like. You know? Like, I mean, nowadays there's no Badlands where you can go out and just no. get away from the law. No, period. Just do whatever the hell you want to do. I mean, you got to maybe go into the Amazon and try and yeah, that's true. get away that way, hide yeah. in the, the dense forest. I don't know. But most of the places you're born, you get a Social Security number and a government ID, and then you're signed up for a bunch of lists, and yeah. that's your life. And that has its advantages. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Huge advantage. For, for, for example, I don't look like a piece of human beef jerky with wooden teeth. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Despite the U.S. Uh, insurance and, and health system, I still have reasonably healthy teeth and skin. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I just I wish there was a way to kind of get an idea of what it felt like to live there other than just through film. We need an Australian Outback game. Well, you need, from to, freeze, the you need to freeze yourself thing. and wait about another 150, 200 years and get in on the Martian colonization. Yes. Space there we cowboys go. and space pirates, baby. Mark Watney was just the first ninja pirate from outer <laughs> space. He won't be the last. I love it. That's what I'll have to do. Uh, Double T. Tim, thank you for commissioning this podcast. We enjoyed yeah. watching it and talking about it quite a bit. If you'd like to commission your podcast, it's pretty easy. Go to baldmove.com slash shop. And pick out uh, there's there's some pre uh, uh, selected ones from our club members that you can get shares of for as low as ten dollars, and you know mm-hmm. you get an, uh, some of your friends together. You can group commission a podcast, and uh, you also can just do one a la carte. Yeah, the the pickings are getting slim over there. Yeah, well, it's about time to re reshuffle that deck. I think so. We got you know we we we. Been very fruitful. We got the Firefly and uh, the Ugh. Princess Bride. Oh, Princess Bride. And what Pulp Fiction is another one. We got some <laughs> some good ones. It's time to to, to put some the fresh Shining. blood into that. The Shining. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, boldmove.com slash shop if you want to commission your podcast. Again, Double T from Melbourne. Thanks for uh, introducing us to the cinema from your your country, your fine country. Yeah. I'm hungry for more. Me too. Uh, maybe we'll get some more Australian commissions here in the future. But until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya.